Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. If you would, take a copy of God's Word. I hope you have a copy with you and turn to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, as we are, believe it or not, we're getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing it now uh, since really the beginning of the year, and we are getting close to the end. And Jesus is basically concluding his sermon uh, by giving us several different areas of application, different areas in which we live this out. And basically, Jesus is calling everyone who has heard his sermon He's calling them to respond in some way. And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the story of two trees. Jesus ends his sermon with the application points by giving us a series of twos. Basically, there are two choices to be made. There are two paths to walk. There are two trees. Jesus does not provide you a middle ground. He doesn't say you can be neutral. He doesn't say you don't have to take a side. Jesus is saying in response to what he's taught, throughout the sermon, you need to respond, and there's only two types of response. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' illustration of the two trees. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you are physically able to stand with me this morning out of honor for God's word as we read it, and then I'll let you sit down for a little while, okay? So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, here is what Jesus teaches us this morning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us this morning to understand these verses. Lord, that it might cause us to respond by trust in Jesus and to follow him, to walk in righteousness and to give you all glory. Father, teach us. We are your sheep this morning. We ask that you feed us by your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, we see the continuing theme throughout chapter of judgment. God has been speaking of the fact that judgment was going to come. It could not be uh, forsaken and it could not be covered up. But Jesus also told us in relation to judgment that there were two gates and two paths. One gate led to destruction and death. The other gate and path led to life. And he's encouraging all who are hearing his sermon to respond, to enter in the narrow gate and to walk the hard path that is following after Jesus. Jesus does not promise that if you follow after him and you're a Christian, that your life is going to go great and everything is going to be perfect and you're going to have a lot of comfort. It's not going to be a Disney movie. When you follow Jesus, it is going to be a hard path to follow. And the reason is because you're going to have to give up stuff to follow after him. You're going to have to give up your own dreams and your own hopes and your own goals and your own purposes. You're going to have to follow after what Jesus has called you to follow after. And by the way, when Jesus says to follow after him, what does he say? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Those are not words of comfort and ease. Those are words of hard, difficult walking after Jesus. But what he tells us is that the path 
that leads and walks after Jesus, that narrow path through the narrow gate is the one that actually leads to life everlasting. It is where joy is ultimately found. But what Jesus shares with us this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, is a major obstacle on the way to the narrow gate onto the narrow path. That what he's sharing with us this morning is actually one of the major obstacles that keeps people from the narrow gate and the narrow road. And in so doing, there's something you and I need to recognize. Appearances can be deceiving. You can look one way, but actually be something totally different. Do I need to convince you of that, or do you agree with that? Do you agree that there are people who may call themselves Christians who aren't? And they might look just as Christian-y as you. So here's an obstacle. On the road, to the gate, onto the narrow path, here is an obstacle. What do you do with those who are false teachers or who are false believers in Jesus? All right, I know this is the pick-me-up you're looking for right before you celebrate Mother's Day. Like, I know this just really gets you excited to go eat lunch afterwards, but it's really, really important because we're talking about the difference between life and death. So what we see in these verses is Jesus is going to begin with a warning. Because number one, what he's going to warn about this morning is that we are to stay away from false teachers. Right? Jesus shares right off the jump the risk of not recognizing false teachers and false followers. So Jesus says in verse 15, beware of false prophets. He doesn't say, hey, if you get a chance, be on the lookout. He says, beware, stay alert, stay away from, stay on your guard because false teachers exist. And just so you know, they are everywhere. And when you tell someone to beware of something, what you're implying is that something actually exists and is present. If you put a sign outside your house that says, beware of dogs, I'm going to assume what you got. I'm going to assume you got some dogs back there. If you say, beware, we carry weapons in this house, I'm going to assume that you got got weapons in your house. When Jesus says, beware of false teachers, he's telling you they exist and they are everywhere. So his beware, his caution, his command to stay alert and to stay away from is based on the fact that they do actually exist. And he tells us that these are pseudo-prophets. They are fake teachers. They are people who purport to speak for God. But in fact, when they're supposedly speaking for God, they're often found twisting and manipulating and concealing God's truth. Listen, false teachers aren't necessarily just people who preach and teach blatant heresy to you. You can usually spot that when someone gives you blatant heresy that violates the key tenets of what Jesus has taught. But what about the people who blur the lines between the broad path and the narrow path? What about the ones who cover up? the idea that God would ever judge anybody? What about those who minimize the effects of sin and whether sin is actually even a big deal? What about those who preach to you that what God desires for you is a comfortable, easy life? What Jesus says is beware the false teachers. Beware 
the false teachers stay away from. That means you're going to have to be on guard at all times. Why? Because they exist and they're everywhere. Listen, I, I hate haunted houses. I've hated them from the moment I was born. I think haunted houses are, I don't understand why people find them enjoyable. I don't understand by what walking around and having, uh, having you scared to death, why that is intriguing to people. I don't know why that's fun. But one time, as a, when I was in high school, I did, my friends said they wanted to go to one, and I didn't, I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna be the guy. I didn't want to be the guy who's like, no, I'm too scared to go. I don't want to go. So I decided, okay, I'll go this one. I'm going to go this one, and then I'm done. And I thought, well, it's an outside one. It's in the woods, so it won't be as bad. You won't be in a confined house or anything. Like, I was wrong. It was horrible. It was everything I dreamed it would be. It was a nightmare come to life. And so my friends who supposedly like me and think that I'm cool, they take me with them. And when we get out into the woods, we are in the woods of southern Indiana, some some person decided it'd be a great idea to put a bunch of stuff in the woods that would jump out at you and scare you as you walked along in the dark, right? Because that's fun. That's a lot of fun. It was miserable. And what I found out eventually is they kept trying to get me to the front of the line. They, right? Because that's what you want to do with people who you know don't like this. You're going to put them at the front of the line. And so they kept trying to get me to go to the front of the line. But I, I'm smart. And so I, I stay in the back, right? I, I'll stay in the back. I'll make sure everybody does good and everybody gets where they're supposed to be. And I can tell you, I was looking for, I thought everything moved. I thought everything was jumping at me. There, there, I just assumed everything was out to get me until I was proven otherwise. So I'm, I'm in the back and I'm, I'm being very careful. I'm, I'm looking out. I'm keeping my eyes focused on everything. Is that thing moving? Is that something behind that tree? I don't know. Is that and I kept moving. I'm in the back though. Nobody can, I'm going to let them go through it first. They're going to go through it first. And then we get into this spot where it funnels us down and we're, all of a sudden, we're all against a wall. I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't make it. Where do we go? Maybe the door's going to open up. We're going to get to walk out. No, what I find out is that all of a sudden, a dude behind me, strobe light kicks on, dude behind me starts up a chainsaw, and now instead of being in the back like I intended to be, I turn around, and I'm in the front, and this guy is coming at me. I tried to be diligent. I tried to keep my eyes open. I tried... I tried my hardest to catch everything that was coming at me, but I didn't even see the big strobe light and the man in a mask who had a chainsaw behind me. We got to be on alert. You got to be looking out because things will sneak up on you. Even when you're alert, they can still sneak up on you. You got to be diligent. You got to be me in that woods looking at everything. I thought everything was coming to get me. Everything was meant to destroy me. That's how I approached that moment. Guess what? Jesus says, beware, be alert, stay alert. Why? Because there is danger around you. It may not be physical threat, but guess what the danger is? The danger is false teachers who would lead you to the broad gate and the broad path that leads to destruction. And all they have to do is blur the line so you can't tell the difference. You see what I'm getting at? He says, stay away from false teachers. Beware because they exist. Not only do they exist and are we called to stay away from them, but you want to know what makes them so dangerous? You want to know why they're so hard? Because it's hard to spot sometimes. You want to know why? Number two. False teachers disguise themselves. You know, this is hard. It's hard to figure out who false teachers are. You know why? Because they look just like everybody else. They look like all the other.
Christians. You know why it's so hard to find them? You know why you need to stay vigilant? Why you need to stay awake and be on alert? It's because they come in sheep's clothing, which means they look exactly like one would expect a Christian to look like. Sheep was a picture of a Christian, right? Someone who's following after Jesus. These wolves will look like sheep. They will put on sheep's clothing. But appearances are deceiving and appearances are dangerous. They're not easy to spot. But notice why it's so important that we spot them. Because we're told that they are ravenous wolves. That's who they really are, but they look like Christians. Imagine someone who says, I'm going to put on Christian-looking clothes. I'm going to do Christian-looking things. But deep down, they're ravenous, which means they're vicious. It means they're dangerous. It means you have to be extra careful. Why? Because they blur the line between the broad gate and the broad path and the narrow gate and narrow path. They make it hard to see the difference between either one causing people to walk after the broad gate above all others. Why are they dangerous? Why are they vicious? I believe that the rest of God's word gives us a picture as to what type of people he's talking about. In Jeremiah chapter 23. So in the Old Testament, God was talking about this. In the Old Testament, God was talking about ravenous wolves who would come and would seek to prey upon God's people. And in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 16 Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. You see that, see what Jeremiah is pointing out there through what God's telling us? There are basically two kinds of prophets. There are those who speak for themselves, their own minds, what they believe, and there are those who speak for God. And it's hard to tell the difference. But God does give us one indicator of the difference. Did you notice what the false prophets do? They tell people who don't love God, don't listen to God, don't care about God. What do they tell them? It'll be fine. No judgment awaits. There's nothing to fear. It will go well with you. Listen, I think that's exactly in Matthew chapter 7, the type of false teachers he's talking about. Those who would preach to you, sin's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. God, God's ultimately not going to judge anyone. He's not going to send anybody to hell. That's not going to happen. Right? God, God doesn't desire to do that. Belittle sin. Sin's not a huge deal, right? We don't even talk about it. We just want to talk about the love of God. We just want to talk about the love and mercy of God, but we'll leave out all the uncomfortable stuff. That's exactly what the false teachers Jeremiah was warning about all the way back in his book. That is that there are those who would look upon the judgment of God and say it's not a big deal, or 
that it's not even going to happen. And what's so dangerous about this is that those who would call themselves Christians are actually found to be false in this scenario. Those who would say, I put on sheep's clothing, I put on Christian clothing, and yet inside, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. That's their true character and nature. And so what we need to understand is not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is in fact a Christian. And just so you know, it also means that doing religious activity to save yourself is basically our equivalent of putting on sheep's clothing. If you think by being religious and doing good things, you can earn salvation with God, that's the same thing as just trying to put on Christian clothes and walk around and look like one. Does that make sense? It's dangerous. And there are many, many, many teachers who will proclaim these things. They will say, don't worry about it. The broad path will ultimately lead you to good too. Don't worry about it. There is no judgment that awaits. Everything's going to be fine. And they blur the line between the broad road and the narrow road. And in that, it can be so dangerous. I want to share this quote with you from Martin Lloyd-Jones, a theologian pastor uh, who I've enjoyed reading his stuff when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to hear what he said um, about this verse. Quote, We have somehow got a hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong. And we do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. That is the only way to to understand rightly this picture of the false prophets. The false prophet is a man who has no straight gate or narrow way in his gospel. He has nothing which is offensive to the natural man. He pleases all. He is in sheep's clothing, so attractive, so pleasant, so nice to look at. He has such a nice and comfortable and comforting message. He pleases everybody, and everybody speaks well of him. He is never persecuted for his preaching. He is never criticized severely. He is praised by the liberals and the modernists. He is praised by the evangelicals. He is praised by everybody. He is all things to all men in that sense. There is no narrow gate about him. There is no narrow way in his message. There is none of the offense of the cross. See, if you preach the truth, if you preach what Jesus has said, you cannot discount the seriousness of sin, the presence of judgment, the righteousness of God and the holiness of God, and our desperate need to be forgiven. The false prophet, the false teacher is the one who everybody speaks well of because he'll never step on your toes. He'll never challenge. He only tries to comfort. And in the end, that is simply helping people feel better about walking towards destruction and death. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why Jesus calls them ravenous wolves. So not only do we see the risk of not recognizing, we're told to stay away from the false teachers. We're told to stay vigilant because false teachers disguise themselves. But number three, false teachers will eventually show their true nature. They can't do it forever. They will eventually show their true nature. You know how we know? Jesus says, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Listen, eventually they will show themselves. It may take a while. It may take a long time to recognize a false teacher. It might take a long time to recognize someone who is putting on sheep's clothing but is instead a ravenous wolf. That may take a long time. It may take their whole life to demonstrate. But Jesus does say that false teachers will show their true nature eventually. He says, by their fruits 
you will see them. You will recognize them by their fruits. What does that mean? By what they produce, by what they display, you will recognize who are those who are pretending to be Christians and who aren't. Look, he gives us a few illustrations that are tied up in this discussion of trees, that there are two types of trees. Notice he tells us right off the, right off the jump that can grapes be gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the answer to that? No, in fact, it's an emphatic no. If you're going to go to thorn bushes to try to find grapes, you're going to be severely disappointed. You would never expect to do that. You would never expect to find that. And while sheep, right, while wolves who put on sheep's clothing may be able to stay hidden for a while, guess what can't be hidden? Guess who can't cover up? A tree. A tree cannot cover itself up. It will always produce according to its nature. A tree can't cover it up. It will show itself eventually. It may look like the other trees for a while, but eventually it will be seen. And each tree will produce the fruit that is associated with what it naturally is. So you wouldn't expect to find grapes and thorn bushes or figs from thistles. That would be ridiculous. That would be silly because that type of plant would not produce that type of fruit. It's the nature of it that determines what is produced. And what we see here is that Trying to find grapes from thorn bushes or trying to find figs from thistles doesn't fit. You wouldn't expect it. So Jesus says in verse 17, So, or basically meaning in the same way, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So appearances can be deceiving because these two trees may look identical to one another until when? Until the fruits come. Then you can tell the difference between one from another. Their true nature is exposed. And that's what fruit does. Fruit will eventually show the true nature of the tree. And the same thing is true of people. We see this. Uh, even Jesus is going to go on later on in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, right, when he's talking to his followers, he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And in verse 10 of chapter 15, he says, we're told, he called the people to himself and he said to them, Jesus said, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind, let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what, uh, with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What was Jesus telling them? There's a difference between external and internal. And simply eating certain things or doing certain things externally, that's not what ultimately defiled. You know what defiled a person? The heart that it came from. What's inside is what matters. Now take that and match it up to the two trees. They will eventually show their true nature. Why? Because they will produce or you will see fruit of what the inside looks like. The heart will be determined by what they display. And that may take a long time to happen, but it 
will happen. And Jesus says, rest assured, false teachers will reveal themselves eventually. Why? Because a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And a good tree will not produce bad fruit. Does that make sense? You will see it. There will be a way in which you can recognize. But it may take a long time to see. That's why you must stay awake. You must be diligent. You must stay away from false teachers because they, they are ravenous wolves looking like sheep. But they will be found out. Why? Because they will ultimately display that which the, the heart uh, produces. And we have to be very careful because that means that if you're a Christian, what type of fruit should you produce? It's almost like Paul told us about what kind of fruit to produce, right? What would you expect? Well, Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's what comes out. That's what comes from the heart of someone who has been rescued by Jesus. You will look and you will produce fruit that looks like who? Jesus, your fruit will look like Jesus' fruit. What you display is going to look like Christ. So the fruit he's talking about, the good fruit that we produce as Christians is we look like Jesus. We produce fruit of Christ-likeness. And if we don't produce that, what is that saying? Uh, hate to break it to you. But if that type of fruit isn't to be found, then what's that telling us about the heart? Because good trees will produce good fruit. They will. So if our lives are absent, this fruit that Jesus has talked about, which, by the way, has been Matthew chapter 5 and 6, because that's where Jesus has been talking about what a Christian looks like. So guess what? If you find someone who puts on sheep's clothing and says they follow Jesus, but yet they retaliate against everybody they come up against and they seek revenge on everybody, what does that tell you? Well, that's not the fruit Jesus talked about. Right? There should be a way for us to examine our hearts to see whether we match up with this. Now, it doesn't mean we won't temporarily fail because it doesn't mean that bad trees can't temporarily look right. But what it means is eventually it will be displayed what our true nature is, whether we're in Jesus or whether we're not. And so we have to be careful and recognize that false teachers will show their true nature eventually and we are to examine fruit in each other's lives. We as Christians do that together. We help each other because if you see something in my life that doesn't look like Jesus, guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to tell me. Because good trees bear good fruit and that's what Jesus expects of those who have been rescued by him. That's good. So we have to ask ourselves, do our lives display the kind of fruit that Jesus has talked about? It can be convicting, I'll be honest with you. Remember what I talked about when we studied the chapter on anger? It's a little rough for me. Because if you see me drive, you know that this is a struggle for me. But shouldn't I be displaying some type of fruit that I'm battling against that anger and I'm trying to look more like Jesus and I'm trying to display his patience and his love and his compassion? Hopefully that's the case. Even though I may blow it once in a while, the true nature of someone is seen in the characteristics of their life, not simply off one occasion. So we need to be looking 
For false teachers, by their fruit, looking at what their lives look like, what their teaching looks like, we examine that and we also ask ourselves as Christians, are we walking after Jesus? Do, does the fruit we're producing look like what Jesus has taught us in Matthew chapter 5 and 6? And then finally, I know, finally, yay, finally we find that false teachers will be judged and punished by God. Is that popular to say? No, because we don't like to talk about judgment. We like to talk about the fact that, that, that sin has consequences or any of those things. But what Jesus tells us is ultimately false teachers will be judged and punished. You know why? Because while appearances may be deceiving and dangerous, guess who you cannot fool? Guess who you cannot manipulate? Guess who you cannot trick? It's God himself. Why? Because God tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but what does God look at? He looks at the heart. So what we need to be careful of is that we don't presume that just because we keep things hidden and secret that God somehow doesn't know about it. That's what the false teachers would believe. They'd believe that they can hide, they can manipulate, that God won't figure it out. And ultimately what Jesus teaches us in this chapter on judgment and responding to his sermon he teaches us that God and Jesus, right, because he is God in the flesh. Jesus didn't just look at outward appearances. Jesus was able to know the thoughts and the hearts of the people he was talking to. He cannot be deceived, which means the true shepherd, Jesus, knows the true false teachers, and he can recognize the difference, and he rightly judges according to that. He doesn't make mistakes. You're not going to slip one by him. You can rest as a Christian in knowing that the false teachers will eventually show themselves and they will be punished by God because he cannot be manipulated. He cannot be tricked. God is righteous and holy and beautiful and he will always set things right according to his standard. That's the good news. We need to be careful. We need to be awake. We need to stay alert. But we also ultimately trust in God who alone can recognize. Because guess what? We can be fooled, can't we? Many of you in this room know people who used to say they love Jesus supremely, but have turned their back and haven't walked close to him in years and years. It's hard for us to tell the difference, isn't it? But God does. And he ultimately will be righteous in every way that he acts. So what does this mean for us? Well, let me ask you, what do we learn about God from these verses? Well, we learn that God is righteous, we learn that God is holy, he is just, and he will punish sin. And yet, the God who is all of those things also loves to pour out his grace and mercy on sinners like us. That while he is the judge, while he will punish sin, he also shows great grace towards us. And he did so by sending his own son. So God, who is holy and righteous and can't allow sin in his presence, he sends his own son to rescue his people by his own might. But we also learn that God cannot be manipulated or deceived. He cannot allow sin in his presence, yet he stoops to us by his son. And he lovingly rescues those who used to be marked by hypocrisy and by falseness. So we learn that God is righteous and yet he will punish sin and yet he also provides rescue to his people. What do we learn about human beings? What do we learn about us from these verses? Well, we're marked by sin, aren't we? 
We are under the wrath of God because of our sin. We're prone to self-righteousness. We're prone to self-deception. We're prone to putting on Christian clothes and trying to look the right part, even though inside there's no love for God. We look to ourselves for rescue instead of God. Human beings are marked by hypocrisy. We'll put on one mask when we're with some. We'll put on a different one when we're with others. We also seek to use people for our own gain. But guess what God says? That is the old man. That's what the old man looks like. The one who doesn't know God, who doesn't love Jesus, who's not rescued by him. That's the old man. Marked by sin under the wrath of God. Self-righteous, seeking to use people for their own gain. This is why Jesus had to come. This is why it points us to Christ being the only Savior. It's because he says that he is the true shepherd who looks not on appearances, but on the heart. Think about this. Jesus knows the worst about you, and yet he loves you more than anyone else. That he would be willing, even knowing the worst about us, that Jesus would be willing to die in our place to take our sin punishment, to make us new creations, that Jesus would be willing to pay for our sin and bring us to the Father with new hearts that produce fruit of righteousness and reflect the love and goodness of Jesus. That's what Jesus does. He takes the old man and creates a new one that loves God and produces fruit that looks like Jesus. We can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can supply this to us. So what does it mean? Well, it means that in Jesus, you must be willing to walk the hard road that Jesus walked first. The road of denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. This is what we're called to. So how do you respond this morning? Well, if you're not a Christian, you need a new heart. If you're not a Christian, you need a new heart. There's no other way around it. There is no life apart from God. There is no new creation apart from a new heart that Jesus alone provides. So we see sin for what it is, destructive, leading to death, worthy of the wrath of God, but we cry out to Jesus alone for forgiveness. We cling to him. We trust in him, and in so doing, we find new life. That's the beautiful petition that God brings to you this morning, is that while you can't save yourself, Jesus lovingly took your place, your punishment. He died and he rose again to show that he had paid your penalty for sin and you can be forgiven. Turn away from sin, turn away from being your own God and turn to the only true son of God who has given everything up for you. And in that Find your ability to live in a way that would honor and glorify him, that you would show fruit of righteousness. So what does it mean for Christians then? Well, Christians, false teachers are everywhere, and they're hard to spot. So you're going to need to stay alert. You're going to need to stay away from wolves. Don't put down your guard. Beware of those who avoid any talk of the narrow gate and the narrow road, who avoid speaking of sin and God's justice against it. Avoid the, the, the cute commentary of easy life and comfortable living with Jesus. Pursue the narrow gate, the hard road. Why? Because it leads to life. Trust in Jesus and then trust him every day because it's going to be a hard road to walk. 
but keep on going no matter the obstacles. Notice the wolves who try to blur the line of which road is the one that leads to life. Notice what Jesus has said and follow after him. Be careful of appearances. Trust in God's ultimate righteous judgment. Examine your own heart. Ask yourself, what fruit am I displaying? Do I look like Jesus? Or am I displaying fruit of the old life above all? And ask yourself, this is a tough one, why do you live the way you do? Because listen, there are a lot of good, moral people who look right. But the question is, why do they live that way? Do they live that way so that God might receive glory, which is what Christians do? Or do they live that way for the praise of men or the credit for themselves or for their own glory? See, it's not just what we do. It's why we do it. And what Jesus has called all of us to is to trust in him and to live in such a way that our Father would receive praise from our lives, that people would look on us and say, their God must be a powerful God. This morning, false wolves are everywhere, but you can recognize them. Be alert and trust in the one shepherd who loves you supremely and gave everything up so that you might be forgiven. This morning, I want you to respond in one of those ways. There's only two paths. You either trust in Jesus, right, for salvation, and you trust in him to help you to spot the false wolves and to help you to, together as Christians, push each other to look more like Jesus and produce the fruit that we've been called to, or you're rejecting him. You're seeking to be your own God, and find yourself under the wrath of God. This morning, I want everyone in this room to know Jesus. I want every one of you to know Jesus, to know how good he is, to see how gracious he is to us, and to say, you know what? I will walk that path for him. I will walk the hard, difficult, narrow way. You know why? Jesus is worth every bit of it. We help each other point out the wolves. We help each other to walk past the obstacles, realizing that God is supremely worth it. You need to respond to him this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace towards us. But Father, I recognize this morning that there are different hearts in this room. There are different beliefs. There are different situations that people have come in here this morning from. There are some who have been trusting in Jesus for a long, long time. There are some who have been in church but don't love him above all else. There are some who are trying to earn their way to heaven. There are some who are completely uh, under the weight of following on this narrow road. Father, this morning I pray that you would show us, you would expose in our hearts who we're ultimately trusting in. God, whether we are ultimately trusting in your son as the one who pays for our sin, the only way we can find forgiveness, or God, whether we're trusting in ourselves, in our own goodness, in our own abilities. Father, I pray that we would see the truth of your word and we would cherish it. God, we wouldn't soften your word. We wouldn't, we wouldn't speak of comfortable, easy lives in Jesus, but we would point people to the truth that following after Jesus is hard. It is difficult, but it is the only way that leads to life, and it is supremely worth it. Father, this morning, whether people are trusting in themselves, God, I pray you will draw them to yourself. I pray they will see that their sin is serious. God, they deserve punishment. God, that you as a righteous judge must punish sin. God, they would see the sin.
severity of the situation they find themselves in, that the broad road does in fact lead to death and destruction. Father, they would recognize that and they would turn away from their sin and they would trust in Jesus alone. Father, save people this morning. Save people who, who desperately need you. God, rescue them from the depths of their sin and show them your beauty this morning. And Father, for us as Christians, help us to examine our hearts. God, a lot of times we can be guilty of trying to put on Christian-like clothes and look like we've got the part. But God, I pray that we wouldn't just look the part, God, that we would live it out. God, we would actually display changed hearts. God, that the change you've wrought in us, bringing, making us new creations, that it would be displayed in the way that we live and in the way that we follow after you. God, I pray that you would find all of your people walking that narrow path through obstacles and dangers, trusting in Jesus all the way. Father, if we are struggling, if there are Christians in the room struggling with different sin, different burdens, different temptations, God, I pray that you would help us to bring them all to you, lay them down, and God, trust that you are able to deliver us from them and you're able to help us to walk in righteousness. Father, may you find your people walking the hard road to life with joy. So Father, help us. Forgive us where we fail in Jesus and help us to walk after him. That God, our lives as Christians would display the heart change that Jesus has brought. That we would be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God, these would be what we were known by. Father, may a lost world see what Jesus does in the hearts of people, and may they trust in him as well. Oh God, protect us, help us, guard us, and God, use us as instruments in your hands that we would point other people to the narrow path through the narrow gate that leads to life. Oh God, you are so good to us. We didn't deserve this, but you brought it anyway, and we give you supreme praise for it. So Father, rescue hearts, rescue souls this morning, and help your people to walk after you in Christ's likeness. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.